0: our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Psalm, chapter 51. If you don't have your own Bible with you, you can find this on page 474 in the Blue Bible in your pew. Psalm 51. then you then will you delight in right sacrifices in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of our God and Savior. Thanks be to God.
1: Let us pray. O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable before you, O oh Lord, our great Redeemer. Amen. You know that uh, when your life intersects with other people's lives, it can mean huge things. Uh, I've told you this story. I just review it. That Kay and I, when we were in our first year or two of marriage, met a young lady on a retreat to Colorado, a, a week-long trip uh, retreat to Colorado. Later, I was involved in her marriage, met somebody from Park City's Presbyterian in Dallas, which is why I ended up in that church for a couple of years, which is why this church found out about me, which is why my daughter married a guy from Jacksboro, Texas, which is why I have two granddaughters. So, (laughs) the intersection of our lives with that young lady meant means that I have two granddaughters. And I would not have those two granddaughters if my life hadn't intersected with that, that, that lady, that young woman. And we could say that confession is the intersection of your story of sin and God's story of mercy. The intersection of your story of sin and brokenness and God's story of mercy. Because that's what the whole Bible is. It's the story of God's mercy shown in Christ Jesus and now announced to the whole world that this is the God who has come to redeem the earth in Jesus Christ. And the whole root and heart of this is our recognition of our sin and brokenness and our entrusting ourselves to Him to cleanse us and constantly transform us, and then in the wake of that for us to announce to others what we have found in Christ. So this really gets to the heart and continuing, you might say, uh, storeroom from one standpoint and control room and furnace that uh, powers everything in our lives is the constant rehearsal to us of the story of God's mercy and its manifold presentation in the Word as we bring our sin and brokenness to that glorious story of mercy in continual confession. And I don't know about you, but this this wonderful time of confession that we had the the particular statements in our confession and then these wonderful expressions of it in the, in the and the laying hold of his redemption in these hymns, it doesn't get any better than that. It just doesn't get any better than that. I hope I don't mess it up with my sermon now. <laughs> um, I want to look at uh, two basic things that he prays for, but the uh, it is first that, you would clean me and then that you would transform me. But then the transform me has two other kind of aspects of it that you would give me joy, which is kind of foundational to being transformed. But and so a necessary part of that is that you would make me joyful so that I can be transformed. And then another necessary part of that is so that I will be able to teach others. So the transformation. Includes in it this joy that issues in the teaching and proclamation to others, but first we've already looked some at this uh, last week, uh, make me clean we we mainly talked about how honest David is about his sin, right how he owns it, how he, he doesn 't make any excuses. these sins are his own uh, that From the beginning of his life, there has been this infection of sin, a kind of congenital defect, like toxic waste of sin was poured into my life right at the fountainhead. And when he says, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin and my mother conceived me, he's certainly not talking about uh, his mother in terms of that she made me sin or that she was, I was conceived in sin, a sinful uh, condition. But it's just a way to say, this is what I really am. This is what I've always been. Not just what I've done, this is who I am. And Paul puts it this way in Ephesians five eight when he says, "...at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light." Dramatic. Not just that I was a part of the darkness, but I helped make the darkness. I was a producer of darkness. You were darkness." But the contrast is so wonderful, isn't it? But now, you're children of light. You belong to the light. You have the character of light. See, children talks about character and ownership and having the very uh, uh, likeness of light. So, we who were darkness now are bursting forth with light. And that's why he can say, then, walk as children of light. So this is not just what I've done, this is who I am. And this prepares us. If we truly own our sin, it prepares us for urgent prayer. Lord, I need help. You see, faith depends on helplessness. Faith is helplessness and dependency and expectancy. Like you're looking for, expecting this God to be merciful, but it's out of this absolute helplessness that we have. And how can we appreciate the depth of what Christ has done unless we begin to understand what we've done against God? Now, there's a tremendous encouragement that sometimes not in the text, in verses 7 and 8, he changes from the imperative requests that occur in the first verses to really a verb tense that has to do, that, that is saying, you will purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. You will wash me and I will be whiter than snow. You will let me hear joy and gladness so that the bones you've broken rejoice. It's an encouraging statement. This is what he will do. David is expecting this to be done in his life. And so in verse 7 when he says, this is just part of his request that God make him clean. Throughout this psalm you have statements like, "Show." Mercy, Have mercy on me, Lord. Blot out my transgressions. Later, blot out my iniquities. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop. Wash me. Hide your face. Deliver me from blood blood guiltiness. So repeatedly is this desire that he be cleansed. And when he refers to hyssop here, it's likely referring to Leviticus 14 when a leper would be healed. Then he had to be cleansed to be restored to the fellowship of God's people. And they would take a hyssop branch dipped in the blood of a slain bird and sprinkle it on him seven times. Then he would bathe and it says, and he shall be clean. Then for seven days he can't go into his house. He bathes and shaves again. And it says, and he shall be clean. And that's the picture David has as though he was leprous with sin, though he was infected and sick with sin. He says, you will sprinkle me with hyssop and I shall be clean. You will wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. That whiter than snow is an addition of his own, indicating his conviction that God never does anything halfway. (laughs) If he cleanses me, I'm going to be clean. I'm going to be cleaner than clean. I'm going to be clean beyond my imagination. I will be totally... There will be no spot, no stain, no guilt, no condemnation when before His very presence, God makes us clean. And so we pray this prayer, no matter what we bring to Him, we pray with this great expectation, You will make me clean. You will make me clean. Yeah. And it's, it's not that we're confessing and thinking the end result of this is I'm going to get slammed. You know, he, 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 the more I tell him, the further away he drives me from himself. No, it's quite the opposite, that I unload my burden. I come to him expectant that he will show mercy. And this is made all the more firm from a New Testament perspective in Christ Jesus. When Paul says, and John says, as we've read, that God made Christ a propitiation, he means that Christ fully satisfies the judgment and wrath of God. Completely satisfies judgment for those who trust in Him. It's fully expended on Him, and there can be no wrath and judgment and condemnation for His people, for whom He is punished. And Paul can say then, he is just and justifier. In the face of our own sin, we see as so deserving the judgment of God, it's comforting to hear that his justice is fully, completely satisfied and he's acted in keeping with his judgment. There's no cheating here, you know. There's no leftover justice waiting to fall. It has fallen. And in in the wake of modern theology that many times looks at God's, Judgment upon his son as a terrible doctrine, an awful doctrine that God would punish Jesus. One of the reasons it's viewed that way is a lack of uh, acceptance and belief that this is none other than God who came to take the punishment. Yes, it was God that expended the wrath, but it was God who came in the flesh to bear the wrath. He didn't call in some lackey, some creation, you know, to to come and stand in the place and do this. No, God said, I will handle this. I'll come and take upon myself sin. I will die in their place. And we're going to blame him for this? Or we're going to think, yeah, it is violent. It is terribly violent. It's the most violent thing in the history of the world, that he bore the wrath of God. But it's that very fact that gives us comfort We cling to it as our only hope and sure hope that real wrath crushed the Son of God on the cross. He bore the full brunt, the full horror of the punishment we deserve. That's why Paul can say there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because he is just and justifier. Christ is the propitiation. He is satisfied. We need to hear Peter say, he bore our sins in his body on the cross. Bam. It was done. Our sins are taken away. And so, as Isaiah, in prophecy, anticipating the servant of of the Lord that would come, he was wounded, Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so we can't doubt his forgiveness or his willingness to forgive because he's the one who's acted. He in his sovereignty can choose to do whatever he wants to do. What did he choose to do? I choose to die for my people. And then to come to us and say, I offer you my salvation. I offer you my son. Come, rest in Him. Receive forgiveness. Receive complete cleansing. You will be whiter than snow. How glorious. And so, the New Testament version of this, Revelation 7.14, the angel says to John's inquiry, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And that's how you make your robes white. Whiter than snow is in the very blood of the Lamb. Praise God that this is offered, that this has been done for us. And what has become all the more clear or been accomplished in Christ is not only... The negative that our sins have been taken away. But we now are joined, so joined to Christ, we stand with Him before the presence of God. And so God joins us to His righteousness, joins us to His accomplishments, joins us to His resurrection so that all that He is flows to us. All of His blessing that He's won now belongs to us. All the blessings in the heavenlies belong to us. We are accepted and beloved, passionately blessed by God because we are joined to His Son. So we come, can we expect blessing? That's what the sovereign work of God has set to accomplish is not only to remove our sin, but now it removes all the bearers for, as Piper puts it, the damned up blessings of God, the, the damned to break for those blessings to flow into our lives. That's being clean, huh? Whiter than snow and the blessings of God flowing to you. And far from this making us think I'm off the hook, as I've told you before, I had to... Two Mormons came to my house when I was uh, in college, actually. And they began to tell me their stuff. And I told them about my faith in Jesus Christ. And I said, to their surprise, I believe that I've already been forgiven of my sins and I believe I'm going to heaven. You know what their question was? They said, in all honesty, they said, well, then why do you obey God? They had no notion... Of obeying God, except for the hope and the fear—the hope of going to heaven and the fear of going to hell. He, he, they really did. They thought, "Why would you obey if you already know you're going to heaven? Why would you obey God?" You know. In, in. The thing about it, when, when the mercy of God really grabs your heart, you don't think, I'm off the hook. I can do what I want now. For true believers, it progressively wins our heart to Him and it causes us to love Him and admire Him and to want to give our lives up to Him. He wins our affections in His salvation. He wins our adoration. He wins our allegiance. And so, strangely, it is because we know we have life in Christ Jesus. We know we're His beloved children that we even have a greater desire not to sin against one who has done so much for us. And so, at the heart of true obedience is the beginning of joy and love and shalom and hope and praise. That's at the root of our obedience because we've experienced the cleansing of God, wash me, you will wash me, and I will be clean, I will be whiter than snow. But the other thing that he prays for in this psalm is not that you clean make me clean, which is also to say, make me acceptable, embrace me, continue to attend me, smile upon me, all that that comes with being clean it, it means an, a complete open intimate relationship with God and, and having His smile. But also, make me whole, transform me, renew me, change me, make me a different person. So there's the desire to be cleansed of guilt and the desire to be transformed in, in my, the way I live, the way I think. And so in verse 6, he says, You delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. He delights in truth in the inward being, but as Kidner says, he doesn't deplore its absence, he restores it. In other words, when he sees the lack in our heart, his grace runs to change it. See, we tend to think, oh, you're going to see my sin, you're going to see my brokenness, and think, ooh, you know, don't want any part of that. No, God thinks differently. He acts differently in his mercy. It's like the more brokenness, the, the more darkness, the more sin, as we come to him confessing it, his grace just flows like water downhill into those broken places. He doesn't deplore our weakness and our brokenness. He heals our weakness and our brokenness. He comes to save sinners to act powerfully in our hearts. And it is, he brings this truth about in the secret heart, he says here. The heart, the renewal of the heart is his favorite work throughout Scripture. It's the heart, it's the heart, it's the heart. Which means he's going to bring real change to the real me, right? The real change to the real me. He will begin moving furniture around in your heart that you thought was nailed down. But it's not, <laughs> It may have been. Some of you thought you nailed it down and nailed it down good. And sometimes when God gets involved in your life, it's like somebody bursts a beehive and you feel like your life is turning into a mess because of all the sin that you've discovered. All the sin that you're beginning to admit to yourself. And it. There was this false calm and you go through the turmoil of discovering your sin more and more and then you enter into a new world of grace, a new world of love and intimacy with God. But God will not leave any of his children comfortable in her sin or his sin. Jesus is heavily, in, heavily invested in the business of heart reconstruction because he died that you would be changed. And you better believe he's going to bring it about. Isn't that encouraging? How invested is Jesus? He died to set you free from your sin. You think he will not answer your cries for deliverance, your cries for change? Your cries to understand yourself because your, your heart and my heart is deceitful above all else, as Jeremiah says. No one can understand it, and yet God can understand it. God can begin to heal. He can begin to make me recognize all the harmful and destructive ways I think and speak and do. He is relentless. He's like soldiers taking a town in Iraq. Street by street, building by building, room by room, Jesus ever advances against our sin and enables us progressively, steadily, to recognize sin in our lives and to put it to death. And so we can say to him, As as David says, create in me a clean heart. With the word create, he's asking for nothing less than for a miracle. It's just the word of of Genesis 1. God created the heavens and the earth. Create in me a clean heart. It's great to be absolutely helpless and at the end of your rope, because then you begin to pray prayers like this. Create in me that which is clean. Create in me, renew me, renew a right spirit in me. It's a term for what God only can do. He's calling for almighty intervention and a continual process of renewal. And when he says renew in me a right spirit, he means a stable spirit, steadfast and secure, durable, fixed, settled a spirit, he's praying for endurance. Lord, I've fallen, I pray that I will be strong to continue walking in your presence. And to, to get to that, to have that, I must have your presence, verse 11. And I must have your Holy Spirit if I'm to have a clean heart, if I'm to have this right spirit. I must have intimate communion with you, Lord. I must have the active influence of your Holy Spirit. To bring this about in my life. You see the helplessness of this. Creation, your spirit, your presence, renewal in my life. This word renew here is a favorite of God in Old and New Testament. God is always doing something new. He enters into the creation to bring about renewal. It's interesting, this word when you look it up in your concordance, you're, you're kind of surprised when you first say, well, this doesn't have the word new in it. It's just got the word month. And this one and this one, like text after text that has the word month. Well, it's because month means new moon, okay? So I love this because we have this picture in the sky every night of what God's doing in our lives. The constant renewal of the moon. Every time you sin, it, it's different than the night before. And month after month, it takes its cycle. It's a picture of renewal. It's the same word is used here: the renewing, the new moon. But in the Old Testament, it could be new anything—a new sword, a new cart, a new garment, a new bowl, a new wine, a new grape, uh, grain, new ropes—used on. Uh, I'll think of yeah, Samson. Thank you. <laughs> a new house, but closer to home in the Psalms, a new song He brings about. He calls us by a new name. We read of a new covenant. He'll give us a new heart and a new spirit. He says in Isaiah forty I'm doing a new thing, making a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And under His influence, our youth is renewed like the eagles. All of these things... Are the, it's the same word. And I love Isaiah 61, four. He says that we will repair the ruined cities. That means to renew the ruined cities. The picture of renewal that occurs throughout the Old Testament. And then it's caught up in the New Testament with uh, the new heavens and the new earth and the new creation, the new self that we have. We serve in the new way of the Spirit, the new and living way that He opened up for us. Just the constant renewal of God in our lives. Kay and I talked recently about a depressing thing that happens to us when we're opening our laptops and the screen hasn't come on. It's kind of dark. And you know what you see? Reflection of your face. And it just gets more and more depressing. (laughs) You know, it's like you have a, I love watching if I get a little cut or something, I love, you know, watching those little tiny things do their thing and the, how they know how to do it. They know how to clot the blood and then, you know, they're all, I don't know who's calling who, you know, to get there on site to fix that, but they do it, you know, and suddenly you've got pure skin. But it doesn't work that way with aging. It's like, I'm looking at myself, and somehow that gives me a more accurate picture of just how bad the sags are, you know, and how old the skin looks. And then, then, it, then you think, and it's going to look worse tomorrow. <laughs> you know, it won't look any better. And the only option is to look like Joan Rivers, and that's not good either. You know, it's like, there's no hope, no hope at all. There's no renewal of this. This is the best you get today and next week it'll look worse. I love this passage in the light of that. I love this passage in 2 Corinthians 4.16. He says, though our outer self is wasting away, and all God's people said amen, okay? Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. It's glorious. That's what really counts, right? It doesn't matter what's happening on the outside. And you can have, if a person lives to be 95, she's just the dearest, oldest saint, and she's being renewed every day, day after day. She's more than she was 10 years ago. That's what God is doing in our life, renewing us. Bringing new life, new obedience, new desires, new purposes. And we need to pray like that. We need to pray expectantly, Lord, renew me, renew me, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and expect that he will do it. This is an anticipation and a promise of the final Complete new creation. We are the little dots of new creation. We're the little dots of renewal in this dark world that speak of what God will do for the whole of this world, renewing it all. And we're already a part of it. Even though our outer man is dying, inwardly we are part of the renewal of the earth. And so, I love how great artists... Uh, and great musicians, they get up and they just have to work. You know, They just have to get to work. They have to get at it and start creating something. That's God in your life, in my life. We are His workmanship, it says in Ephesians 2.10. God's never idle with us. He's never pushing us to the side. I'll work on that next month. He's always involved in, 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 in giving Himself to you. I will say this, it's like Jesus in those cities, He could do nothing because of their unbelief. If you don't trust Him, if you don't believe in Him, you don't act, you know, pray and and worship and praise Him, yes, things are not going to be what they could be. And so we must believe and trust and, and ask Him to give us this kind of faith and expectation in what He will do in our lives, and of course, as he talks about the Spirit here, uh, the New Testament just enlarges on that, doesn't it? Where the Spirit was kind of given in, in a picture, kind of in, in drops in the Old Testament, then in the New Testament, uh, they go out. God goes out, and he turns, he 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 busts the fire hydrant, and is, you know, it's just flowing, it's just going. And it's there for everybody to be washed, to be cleansed, to be affected by this powerful spirit that has been unleashed into the lives of his people. So that here the different... I just only mentioned the text, but now Paul says we serve in the new way of the spirit. The spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. We walk according to the spirit. We're led by the spirit. We have the spirit of adoption. The spirit it gives us righteousness and peace and joy. We have hope by the spirit. We have access to one father by the spirit. We're made a dwelling place for God by the spirit. By the power of the spirit, we know the love of Christ. There's the unity of the spirit. There's a the sword of the spirit. We pray in the spirit. We worship by the spirit. There's love in the spirit and sanctification by the spirit. And renewal by the Spirit in Titus. And so you think of a crack Navy SEAL team on the ground engaging the situation, or somebody saying, We have our best agent on this case and he's never failed once. We have our best team of engineers on this project. Our top architect in the country is working on this design. We're going to the best foot surgeon in the world. God has given us His Holy Spirit. He is on the ground. He is engaged. He is the active agent working in us. You know, the word dedicated can mean like a group of people dedicated or committed. But you think of it, I want to think of it in a different sense. When you, we used to call, have to call, I mean, I'm sorry, I used a telephone line to get on the internet. And if you used your regular home phone, then people were on the internet for hours and you couldn't call them. But you had what's called a dedicated line, right? A dedicated line for the computer. And we have dedicated servers and that kind of thing. But you see, of the Trinity, it's like the Holy Spirit is the dedicated line to his people. He's the one dedicated to hands-on involvement in our lives. And though He he does sustain all things by His unlimited power, we're His particular work, the temple in which He dwells, His special workplace, His special projects, His special art pieces. So the Holy Spirit is given to us freely. And just to mention in connection with this is this prayer. And I would just fold it in with the idea of transforming me and changing me is to restore my joy, make me happy in you. You might put it like this: invigorate me, enliven me, so that I will know your joy afresh. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Nehemiah eight ten says, and when he says, "You will make me uh, to hear," uh, you know, sorry, I lost it. Yeah, you will make me to hear joy and gladness. Uh, the, it's the idea of a, an outcast's return into society, and he's greeted by the sounds of welcome and festivity. You know, it's the sound of make me hear the resounding joy of the community as I'm welcomed back in the community from my sin. And when it says, "Make my bones rejoice," literally, and this is a neat little uh, uh, original insight, let the bones that you've broken. Isn't that beautiful? Broken bones that are now dancing in joy before the Lord. And it is that joy, is that, that happiness in Him that makes us pliable, that, that makes us agreeable to one another, that makes us be able to endure hardship. It's that joy that must fuel our obedience. It is at the root of our response to Him. And it's the whole end result that God is looking for. He doesn't. What He wants is for you to confess sin, experience His mercy, and end up in joy. That's the point of confession. And confession has been. Shortchanged short change, Confession has been cut off at the nerve if it doesn't finally end in joy and praise because He acts to bring praise to His name. Will He forgive you? Well, this is the means of your praise and His glory. And verse 15 again, like verses 7 and 8, is better read, You will open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You will open my lips. And as a result of this, I will teach transgressors your ways. Sinners will be um, returned to you. So, amazingly, uh, we are told in the New Testament in Titus 2.7, servants are told that they're to adorn the doctrine of God. and, And I always think... Golly, how, how could we adorn God's doctrine? You know, God's pure doctrine, my life. I don't think that's much of an adornment, you know? Like, get my life away from the Word. Why not have some perfect angels? They could adorn God's doctrine. They have purity. You see, the way we adorn the doctrine is we're like the guy who would uh, sell rogue. I think it's Rogaine, because at the end, you know, the hair guy or one of the hair things, and at the end he'd say, I'm also a client, you know, because he'd had it done for his, his own head of hair. And that's what makes us able to adorn the doctrine of God because we're sinners who found that grace. We're helpless, broken ones who found life in Christ Jesus. We are the announcement of the goodness of this doctrine. And so the in result of confession and restoration is that we ourselves might proclaim that to others. May God use us in this way. May we experience His mercy. And may we proclaim it to others for Jesus' sake. Let us pray. O Lord, we thank You that there is cleansing in Christ and transformation in Christ. We pray, Lord, that You would make us eager and active in our prayers and trusting in our prayers, expectant in our prayers, that You will do great things for us. And Lord, that you will thereby, as we experience your mercy, equip us that we might show mercy, and that we might announce mercy for Jesus' sake. amen. amen pleasing pain
0: Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America.